The 24th annual McMinimins UFO Fest is descending on McMinnville May 17th and 18th. There will be live music, parades, costume balls, and contests. You can also hear expert speakers and first-person accounts of UFO encounters, including from former Navy pilot Ryan Graves, who last year came out very publicly about our military's regular UFO sightings. Do you remember that? That was super weird. Other guest speakers include Garrett M. Graff, author of really long-titled books like The U.S. Government's 80-Year Quest to Understand the Mystery of UFOs, and Roderick Martin, host of the podcast High Strangeness. Tickets are available for believers and skeptics alike at ufofest.com. Did you know more pedestrians were killed by cars in Portland last year than any of the past 70 years? And studies show Oregon has the 10th highest traffic fatality rate in the country. A Multnomah County report a couple years back also found that a majority of Portland's deadly crashes tend to happen in neighborhoods with larger populations of people of color and lower income households. So today on the show, we have pedestrian and transportation advocate Sarah Ayanarone. She's the executive director of the Street Trust. If her name sounds familiar, it's because you might have seen it on the ballot for mayor a couple of years ago. Sarah's passion has always been in urban planning and sustainability. So I wanted to ask her, what is making our roads so dangerous for pedestrians? And why are certain neighborhoods even more dangerous for them than others? And what can we do about it? It's Thursday, January 26, 2023. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is CityCast Portland. I'm really excited that you're talking to us, Sarah, because this has been a topic that I have been slightly obsessing over for a bit now. So from your vantage point, could you tell me about where most of these pedestrian deaths are happening? Yeah, well, you know, when we talk about pedestrian fatalities, you've got to think about the survivability of the crash, right? If you're on one of those high volume, fast streets, and the car collides with the human, the chances of you surviving go way, way, way down for every 20 miles per hour that the car is going faster, right? So when you think about the streets that look like that across our city and region, many of them are these so-called orphan highways or strodes is another way that we talk about them, are these big arterials that weren't really designed for humans to be not paying attention on them at all, right? They were designed to move say maybe freight from farms to ports so that they could get to market internationally, right? right? They weren't designed uh, for humans to, to interact with them safely. Powell Boulevard is a very good example. So that's where these deaths are happening. Yeah. So basically, wherever there are high volume, large streets or as strodes, as you call them, would like Columbia be a strode? Perfect example. Lombard, 82nd, Barber Boulevard, Tiger in Tiger. You've got Hall Boulevard, TV Highway, Farmington right. Road, McLaughlin. I, I mean, they crisscross our region and state. And the problem is we don't really think about how we're going to retrofit them as urban areas grow up around them right? The urban environment, it's just harder to keep up. Well, we've got places designed for pedestrians, like where, um, you know, uh, Congressperson Bonamici was hit 
even she got hit by a car recently, but it was in one of our more pedestrian oriented neighborhoods, right? Yeah. I think she was either at Gleason or Everett, which is one of the faster cruising arterials through it. But her survivability and the fact that she survived that is probably not unrelated to the geography where she was crossing that street. Exactly. If she'd been at like trying to cross McLaughlin or trying to cross Hall Boulevard and all the things that go with that, we could have had a dead congressperson, right? Right. Well, well, let's talk about where these roads are because uh, they're concentrated in specific neighborhoods. I think you have used the phrase the crescent of disinvestment because if you were to see the areas highlighted in a map of Greater Portland, it would resemble a, cre- a crescent moon. Could you break that down for people who are just now hearing that term? Yeah, it's where you still have a lack of, we don't even have sidewalks um, and paved streets out there, right? And so these areas of disinvestment really are seriously disadvantaged by virtue of the lack of investment and the lack of infrastructure. You know, sometimes it's hard to conceptualize public policy. And so when you break things up into grids or, you know, simple things like East Portland uh, is the worst and then, you know, inner Portland is fine. It's not exactly that way because, yeah, East Portland is really bad. and Like 82nd and uh, Foster 82nd, Powell. 82nd, yeah. but even further, like 92nd, 122nd, mm-hmm. 148th and Stark, 148th and Holgate, 162nd and Powell, also affectionately known as the numbers. I'm not saying that those areas aren't bad, but there are also places that have disinvestment all along Columbia Boulevard. Lombard, up through Cully into Killingsworth. You've got Airport Way and Marine Drive, all in that north end. And there's a high intensity of living wage, you know, good paying jobs in that Columbia corridor, right? When you think about where the affordable housing is. And so that crescent of disinvestment also comes around 82nd Avenue, where it leaves City of Portland, and you're into Clackamas. And the parts of town where I, you know, was from like Felony Flats, aka Methlehem and all these other places. It's where oftentimes the jobs are there and trying to get, you know, like people who are living on lower incomes who may not be able to afford a car, who are transit dependent or use their bike uh, to get their groceries or get to work. So yeah, it's none of this is accidental. I hate when they use the word accident. It's all by design. Uh, We continue to invest in it and it's killing us. Yeah. These are very important, broad reasons as to, you know, why the lack of city infrastructure might make certain places more dangerous. But let's take 82nd Street just as an example. Like how has disinvestment contributed to pedestrian deaths there specifically from your studies? One of the ways that we notice this is, you know, where the concentrations of where people are being hit are. And they're not in areas where we have invested in things like very robust pedestrian infrastructure. We don't have separation of modes. So you see a lot of people competing for very small slivers of uh, sidewalks. I don't know how many of your listeners um, actually use 82nd outside of an automobile. I know that as a person who doesn't own a car and who lives in a neighborhood adjacent to 82nd, I use it a lot. And there's some areas along 82nd Avenue where there's like six inches and then a utility pole, and then a building. Like we have people walking on the highway to get to their bus stop in the city of Portland. So when you look at that, at the very far at the north end, you've got things like, you know, schools for students who have struggled, like in PPS. And these are all concentrated in these outlying areas. And then another factor is multifamily housing. So 
the way that we've planned out our whole region is that where we build, like say, you know, apartment buildings and we've zoned them so that it's harder to build them in neighborhoods and there are fewer, you've got a lot of single family housing where the streets are really safe. And then we concentrate this multifamily housing and this high density on these arterials, right, where the bus stops are, well, now you're concentrating population where the roads are deadliest. So we really have to get a lot oh. of our various investments aligned. I never thought about that, you know, because it's true. If you go up to Cully on Killingsworth, people are just zooming by and you're right. It's all apartment buildings uh, up and down Killingsworth towards Cully. But let's take a little break here because when we come back, I want to talk about accountability. Have you ever wished you could just go somewhere and decorate cakes? If you're nodding your head right now, well, Cake Hoopla has got you covered. A do-it-yourself cake and cupcake decorating studio in Tiger, they supply you with everything needed, including the baked cakes and cupcakes, and the frosting, the fondant, the sprinkles, tools, and even instructions if you're going for something a bit more highfalutin. You can join workshops, book private parties, or order kits to take home. No matter the skill level, Cake Hoopla has something for everyone. They even offer customizable packages for any kind of party, kids' birthdays, company events, bridal showers, holiday parties, team building, you get it. Customers can also book a table, the party room, the whole studio, or just choose a pickup option. For more info, head over to Cake Hoopla in Tiger just off I-5 or go to cakehoopla.com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Control of 82nd recently transferred back to Portland from ODOT. And sometimes the accountability, it, it just, it's a moving target. So for those who are following this conversation and they're hearing City of Portland, they're hearing PBOT, they're hearing ODOT. When we say ODOT, we mean Oregon. We mean the state. Yep, the state department. The state department has jurisdiction over certain streets in cities, in the city. So now we have the city of Portland trying to claim some of those, you know, strodes back and trying to make them uh, less dangerous. What's the effect? Anything going to happen? So the idea behind the jurisdictional transfers is, well, let's at least get this facility out of the hands of ODOT that's not caring for it, that it's got, you know, decades of deferred maintenance, if not more, and try to put it in the hands of a jurisdiction that's going to apply these more rigorous design uh, and investment guidelines for safer outcomes and better outcomes for people who are walking, biking, or trying to access transit. And that's basically what the 82nd Avenue jurisdictional transfer is all about. I've actually taken policymakers on tours of places like this where we walk to where the sidewalk ends and we go, oh, the jurisdiction for the city just ended and now this is an, o an ODOT facility. Yeah. And why should ODOT facilities get to be so much less well-kept than, say, a municipal facility. We can't let ODOT off the hook for that. They need to bring mm -hmm. their facilities into good condition. You can tell where a specific municipality has spent its dollars to invest in infrastructure like sidewalks, like crosswalks, like street lighting that keeps vulnerable street users safe. 
or where they haven't. We have a lot of guidelines that give us premier infrastructure investments when it comes time to put a project on the ground. That's why you can feel a difference when PBOT uh, improves a project. It might feel safer, especially if you're a person walking, uh, bicycling, or trying to access transit um, than in some of the other parts of the region you know, that are not controlled by city of Portland. And you can almost feel the difference at the edge. Mm -hmm. Since Oregon is, is looking to spend billions on freeway expansion, like what could we instead use that money for, for our city streets? I mean, but we, I hate the argument that there's not enough money. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. I'm out. I have to go fight for like 14 million in, you know, sidewalks. And I have to kick and scream and claw out eyes to get this or that. Meanwhile, I go to an Oregon Transportation Commission meeting and they snap their fingers and there's an extra 42 million for the Rose Quarter, you know, cost overruns. And I don't think many Oregonians understand the extent to which the Oregon Transportation Commission controls all of our transportation futures, right? You have this unelected body. They come from backgrounds that are not particularly diverse. They don't come from historically underserved communities. I think most of them drive for their primary mode of transportation. I mean, these people make the decisions about billions of dollars of spending in our mm -hmm. state, right? So there's one thing. But then historically, the Oregon Department of Transportation was basically a highway building division. Right. right. The feds, they these are highway building institutions to them. Everything looks like a freeway lane mile because that's all they know. Can we make investments in things that move the highest number of people as quickly and safely as possible? And an estimated 30 percent of Oregonians don't even drive. It's true. So if you yeah. have if you live in a part of town that's only accessible by car, or you only feel safe, like Park Rose neighborhood is a perfect example, right? The streets are so deadly there and so perceived as dangerous and truly dangerous that you you wouldn't send your kid out to walk a block. You would get in your car, drive a block or two, go run your errand, and then drive home. Well, that's not efficient use of fuel. It's not an efficient use of space. Like I can get so many people moving on an e-bike superhighway, even just from Lower Albina, to Gateway along I-84 that we would never have to add another lane mile to I-84 again. And it's so much cheaper, like the cost of just a single mile. Right. And those e-bikes are cheaper than having to own a car. They're easier to maintain. And frankly, in an urban environment, my e-bike gets me places faster than a car. I call it the congestion beater. Yeah. I mean, I ride a like a a small little motorcycle. And sometimes I see the e-bikes zoom by me and I'm a little jealous. I'm like, I'm almost small enough to get on there, but I know it'd be like awful. I can't go into the bike lane, but like I have that hint, you know, just like, oh, if I could just get in that bike lane. Well, but ideally, I mean, that's what I propose. Shouldn't we have a lane for micro mobile vehicles that are all chugging along at like 20 miles per hour? If you run into me on your thing and I run into you on mine, neither one of us is going to die. So can't we share space together? Yeah. You get bumped up, I'd get bumped up, but we'll likely survive, right? Right. Versus if either one of us gets hit by a car, we're both toast. So I think you and I are in this together as opposed to thinking we should be in. Now, the bicycle community might get some blowback. So caveat, I think there's some <laughs> no, good planning. Yeah. To do. But <laughs> I think we need, to get some creative, <laughs> we need to get some creative thinking about for how sure. we even carve up the streets for the different mm -hmm. modes. Transit prioritization, huge one, no brainer. Give the, If you make the buses faster than driving, people will get on them. Mm -hmm. They just will. 
And now for your microdose of news. The rich are getting richer here in Oregon. The number of people earning at least half a million dollars a year continued to rise dramatically during 2020. The Willamette Week reports that the wealthiest tax bracket has nearly tripled in size during the last decade. Those numbers come from a briefing in the legislature as they continue to debate tax policies. And even more personnel changes at the Portland Thorns. According to the Oregonian, the Thorns have hired their first female CEO, uh, former general counsel Heather Davis. Meanwhile, they've fired two more staffers following the league's giant misconduct investigation. Their head athletic trainer is gone for giving players coding without a prescription, and an assistant coach was let go after giving a player an unwanted kiss on the neck. Yikes. Also, some internal news starting next week. We're going daily, Monday through Friday, and we're like super excited. And also, if we're being honest, a little scared because, you know, every day. Um, but if you don't want to miss an episode, subscribe to our show. You can also subscribe to our daily newsletter, Hey Portland, for even more Portland news and events. We'll throw a link in our show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Our lead producer is John Utariani. Our audio producer is Julia Fiaioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan, And our host is me, Claudia Meza. Special thanks to Natalie Rivera for her production support this week. We could not have done it without her. Original music by Jenny Conley and Steven Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. We'll be back on Monday with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>